This podcast is with Jack Gobsmob, who will be playing at Stand Up Tragedy on Monday the 5th of March, which is coming right up. Stand Up Tragedy and Getting Better Acquainted are running a joint Indiegogo campaign to try and pay the performers at Stand Up Tragedy, and also so that I can do some really cool road trips with Getting Better Acquainted, which I'd really love to do. We're looking to get 3000 $500. The deadline is the 1st of March, so if you're going to contribute, you want to contribute, please do so now. Please, now's the time. Don't You can't wait. If you want to come along and see Jack sing live and see some other great tragedies, tickets are available. We'd love to see you there. This conversation was recorded quite some time ago. It starts off a little bit crackly in the wind, but don't worry, we quickly sort that problem out. There's one thing I don't think is particularly clear in the conversation and that's at the end when we vaguely touch on a podcast I recorded before this in the past that was called Four Days in a Room and I'll stick that along with all of the links to all of the music talked about on the show notes that come with this podcast. And there's another thing that I don't think is 100% clear so just to make it fully clear the band we used to be in was called Apples for Everyone. We sort of talk about apples occasionally, and we do, but we never actually set it up exactly because we know about it. It's not that interesting to us, but you don't. So that was the band we were in. Anyway, never mind. Enough talking from me. Here's a little glimpse of what's to come, and then on with the show. And then this little four-year-old girl goes, and there's a gun in the cupboard. And I was like, <laughs> fuck. So far, I'm on one shotgun, three dead bodies, and drugs so in you- people's houses. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. Today we are getting better acquainted <laughs> with Jack. Hello, Jack. Hi, Dave. You're right. <laughs> Yeah, I'm good. How did you meet me? I met you, Dave, through uh, Apples for Everyone, and I met you first at a rehearsal with three people, innit? I think so, yeah. Um, through an advert you put on Gumtree, which I thought was a good idea, and it kind of was and kind of wasn't. It was, it was, uh, but it, mostly a good idea. Mostly yeah. good. Well, the idea itself was good, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the product maybe wasn't yeah, as good you know. as the idea. But that is how I met you. I met you in... Tottenham Court Road, is it? Yeah, I think so. Enterprise, Enterprise yeah. Studios, yeah. Back in the days when you could smoke in rehearsal rooms. Lovely. It was, like, it was like a sauna in those rooms, though, <laughs> with that smoke. It was hot, hard. Yeah, um, I want to go back to Enterprise, because it was... I thought a nice place. The staff was shit. The equipment was rubbish. But I liked the vibe of the really tiny little room. If that makes you concentrate a bit more. I know what you mean. Yeah, I remember like coming back from... Nights playing with apples in Enterprise Studios and just lying in bed and just sweating yeah. booze and <laughs> cigarettes, but just thinking I'm alive. Yeah, yeah. and that was you good. Carpet on the walls, you're covered in sweat and filth, but you feel pretty good afterwards. Yeah, that's we used right. to do um, Mummy's Sound Special used to rehearse there as well, and they were the best room we rehearsed. In, I think it wasn't the best rehearsals, but it's definitely the best room we rehearsed. In. What do you do now? I am an anti-social behaviour officer in Dursham. So I tell people off I work for the council, I'm a housing officer basically. And I play in Mummy Says on Special and I am can't remember my title, I think I'm the general manager of uh, Scream Matriarch, which is a company that sells art products and dolls, etc. from London artists. And you should go there, uh, we'll talk more about that. We'll talk more about <laughs> that, yeah, definitely. Ashtrays. Table yeah, that? just ashtrays anywhere, really. And I should explain. Whoa! I should definitely explain to the audience that at the moment we're out in my back garden. We may we may have to pause and go in again because it may rain. It suddenly got windy, which is uh, why it sounds like I don't know. We're at the bottom of a well or something. I'll try and do something about that. Have you got the little um, the foam top thing, or is that no good? Um, I have got the foam top thing. That might help, although it might obscure some of the sound but we shall see talk louder there you go <laughs> right you're now in audience you're now encased in foam let's start with Mummy Sesame Special what is Mummy Sesame Special? Mummy Sesame Special is probably the greatest or second greatest punk band that's ever been it was a band I joined when I was 16, 17 years old I was in college second you hang remember. on I'm writing that, I'm writing that for the, my notes for later I thought you were going to ask you second up. greatest I was, no, I'm no, going to ask you the greatest that. what you said <laughs> what you said was 
first or possibly the second. Yeah. So what's the what's the first if you're not the first? Well, I think we probably are the first. Now that you've written second, it's actually <laughs> <laughs> um, we're definitely the best funk band it's ever been. Okay. The second best is probably the Dwarves. They're one of my favourite punk bands. So I okay. Really like them. <laughs> sorry, but we're definitely the first. Fuck so, you. <laughs> so okay. So, sorry to have uh, thrown you by by writing down. I didn't realise you were going to write notes. I, didn't I might occasionally write notes. Okay, right, just to, to warn I won't you. read them. I'll let you. Yeah. <laughs> come to the just challenge me on every like <laughs> shorthand that I write down. How long have Mummy oh. Says I'm Special been going then? On and off since 19. I went to college in 98. Our first practice was officially in 1998, but our first gig wasn't until 1999. So it depends when you take it from. Over 10 years then. Over 10 years. Yeah. yeah. And it was me, my mate Will, who's the bassist and the singer and general you know, songwriting creative genius, etc., behind the band. And the succession of increasingly and now decreasingly weird drummers. So yeah, it's, it's been a been a ride. The drummers are probably the way to tell the band's story, so I'll, I'll do it through the drummers. Okay. We had sort of two really sort of shitty three rehearsals and then nothing else drummers in college, and that was kind of boring. So about six months in, we'd been practicing for a little while, had a good six or seven songs going. We decided to, to actually recruit outside of our friendship group and get a drummer and we got this guy who was called but we played a lot of gigs with him we sort of split up it was probably about a year after I went to university I was told in uncertain terms I was not to ever go to university it would fuck up the band and we were going to be big if I didn't go to university and I thought yeah probably isn't going to happen I had foresight you see it now <laughs> the, the band have come to accept that we're never going to be big but that was a sticking point for the second but that's a, for later so yeah uh, was the first drummer he was good a little bit crazy when we split the band up we, we were in our early 20s maybe 2021 20, something like that and he I think was dating a 15 year old girl so fine line there and the song Peter Farm Man refers to, <laughs> to those exploits I might have to ask you to cut this bit afterwards Dave I'm not sure okay what the rules are um, about <laughs> incriminating other people but you've said it now so I've said it now so it's, it's in until I can cut it, no, yeah. it. So, <laughs> he was he was quite weird he was good he started playing slowly at points because he got carpal tunnel syndrome in his wrist which is not good for a drummer and basically split the band up I was at university wasn't getting much done in the way of practice or recording we recorded our first album it was called Straight Out of Compton Howlett it was <laughs> one because uh, that's, that's Will Cernan Compton Howlett hence Straight Out of uh, Compton Howlett it was 20 songs, five of which had been on the previous demo, and the other 15 we recorded in about two hours at a local youth club, and basically didn't mix them, just sort of whacked them straight on the CD. Released, you know, critical acclaim for worldwide fans, shipping in. We got ourselves in Scum Scene and Kerrang! a couple of times, that was quite good. That's pretty good. Um, all you've got to do is write in and sound interesting, I think, to get in what's used to, and I don't know if you can get in Kerrang! But I wouldn't really want to be in Kerrang! because it's a filthy piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Magazine that. I've got very little interest in being anymore. They have had the King Blues on the front, and that's kind of spoiled it entirely for me. So that was the first incarnation. We lasted about two, two and a half years. So we split up then, and then me and Will decided at a party at a friend's house that it would be a good idea to get the band back together. It would be a good idea not to get back on board, and it would be a good idea to get another drummer. So we did that, and we started rehearsing. It was exactly the time that I was interviewing for the job I'm currently in, actually. So it was probably, I'm in here five years and a half. No, just under five years. So it's probably about, yeah, five and a half years ago, thereabouts. We got back together, got another drummer, got him off the internet. Don't ever get drummers off the internet because they're, it's come. Go in your friendship group or just outside of it, but not total strangers because drummers are weird. So this drummer <laughs> was called uh, Pikey Mark. Right. He was a bit pikey. He, he, he worked for another housing association, weirdly enough. He was sort of, sort of quite a hardcore kind of guy covered in tattoos and he wanted to be really, really big. And Will had come around to the point of view already, and I had been in this frame of mind since we were 16, that we were never, ever going to be really, really big. He left us <laughs> under a cloud, gone out drinking with a band who's a friend of ours called The Morons. They're probably the third greatest uh, punk rock band of all time. You should listen to The Morons as well, if you've got any sense. They keep doing their final ever gig, and it, every time it's better than the last one. They should actually not have a final ever gig. They should keep on going. Anyway, we went out for a drink with uh, Jamie Moron and Joe Moron, and I think Marcus was there as well for a point. And we went up to this fancy bar in Camden, which was called the Hawley Arms, which apparently you can go and see Amy Winehouse and she gets drunk there and all this kind of stuff. So we went there because that was the kind of place that Mark liked to drink. We thought it would be fun also to go and drink in a semi-civilised place rather than the Broccoli Barge, which is where we usually go. So about three or four hours into the evening, we were all pissed and everything. And Joe Moron <laughs> decided it would be a really good idea to take Pikey Mark's hat from his head and throw it, we were on the sort of roof garden next to some train tracks, he thought it'd be good to take the hat off Pikey Mark's head, throw it off into the street below and then laugh. <laughs> <laughs> we, 
which he did, and it was very funny, and we all laughed, apart from Pikey Mark, who got in a real huff about it, um, and said it was the last hat his grandma had ever given him before she died, or something like this, and Shit. got very upset. Well, bollocks. Unless she sort of gave him a hat every time she saw him, it was a pretty standard you know, cough hat kind of nonsense. Nothing to get upset over, anyway. Uh, <laughs> in my point of view. <laughs> and so, yeah, Mark, uh, you know, so fuck all you, fuck all you, rah, 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 ran out of the pub pretty much never to be seen again we went and we found this hat two drunk girls had picked it up they saw it falling out of the sky and thought it was raining hats and grabbed the hat we oh that's my mate's hat got the hat back gave it to him and he was like oh, I can't believe you let that guy do it to me man and essentially was out of the band um, <laughs> so that and then you so you split up then we, we split up then that was probably 2000 and and you just got a tattoo of the band I had, yeah I had just got a tattoo <laughs> I'm so special, annoyingly. I thought that would be a good thing to do. I, I stick by it, it is a good thing to do. You should get a tattoo of Mummy Son Special, uh, <laughs> listeners, and Dave, particularly. You should get one on your hand. I got, I got one of your t shirts, that's as far as I'm going. <laughs> well, yeah, we, we like to think that in uh, from the revolution, when it's Mummy Son Special versus the world, which it eventually will be, yeah. we'll know the people to save by the, uh, the mark on their skin. And if you're not marked, Dave, then you won't be saved. Oh, well, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll keep that in mind. Yeah, do so. I'll. Uh, <laughs> I'll, maybe I'll get a last minute tattoo just as the uh, the clouds are coming if in. If the ink is fresh, we know that you're not proper. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, and then you got back together again. Then we got back together again, yeah. Um, and then, well, it's one of these bands that you sort of, you miss it after it's not there for a little while. You get a good year and a half worth of thank fuck for that. I was you know, glad that's over with. Let's get on with my life kind of thing. And then it comes crawling back. We were out, we were seeing, I think we were seeing the Morons actually playing up in the 12 bar and Jamie Moron, who's one of the guitarists in the Morons, said that he would like to learn drums and that in order to do that, we should let him join Mummy Stone Special. So we thought, yeah, that'd be a good idea. We've had drummer who was kind of a friend, didn't work out, drummer off the internet, didn't work out at all. Drummer who's not a drummer, that might just work, right? Yeah. Because drummers are fucking weird, but this guy isn't a drummer, so he might not be so fucking weird so we got him in and he's now not anymore no, known as Jamie Moore and he's now known as a drummer and he's been with us for about three years I think thereabouts so yes he, he works out quite nicely and we're now the greatest punk band well, of all time I, I would definitely recommend to the audience that they go and see you guys live it is quite an insane experience in a good way yeah it's worth, worth doing if you can stand getting close to three really sort of sweaty aggressive men <laughs> The closer, and, uh, the better, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's all about the uh, that fourth wall trying to just yeah. dissolve it with stink. Well, the first time I saw you live was in was it the, is it the Crow's Nest in Crow's Nest? Crow's Nest. Nest. Yeah, that was after. And was that's probably. like a square bar, and I was standing like an inch away from you guys' faces. Yeah, it was a it's very enjoyable one of my favourite venues to play actually because even if you're standing at the bar, you're still only like literally a matter of feet from the band. Yeah, there you isn't can't escape it. There really isn't really good. much. There's like a stage an inch where you can stand and then the bar yeah. <laughs> and I would like to make it clear to any any drummers of my acquaintance that the views of Jack on drummers are his own and scum. not mine <laughs> everyone I know you can fuck off David. everyone who is a musician knows that drummers are scum that is fact. <laughs> it's the fact known by all musicians especially within the punk circle because the drummer is generally the least punk member of the band as well because drummers are drummers and they learn to play the drums but they're such a rare commodity that you'll take a drummer from another genre and try and mould them to your own kind of thing that's true um, luckily well that happened sort of with I guess with Pikey Marks obviously wasn't that punk and had a hat being thrown off a roof it was kind of punk I guess I'll give him that he was uh, quite hardcore but <laughs> a, a lame wrist is not what you need in the drummer and yeah Jay Moore and it's been in the punk band in a different way, and I'm actually the least punk member of Mummy's in the Special, which I'm I'd say fairly proud to say. That's probably true, yeah. yeah. Although it's ja Jamie, isn't it, your drummer? Yeah. He looks really straight. He looks very straight. Though. He looks really. Like, he looks like a business, like a businessman or something. You would you would not be surprised to see. Whereas you've got, you know, you wouldn't expect you to come around. I don't think to your house as a housing officer. You'd be, I think you'd be quite a, a surprising figure to, to, <laughs> to, to, to turn up. Today, Jack's got a very long beard. He's cutting it. Today? Probably going to cut it tonight, yeah. I promised my girlfriend that I would cut it. Because I know when it's getting ridiculous, because oh, your beard's a bit long. Uh, <laughs> I go, yeah, I'll, I'll probably cut that. It's, yeah, it's basically like a pillow stuck on the bottom <laughs> of his face. And he's a very tall guy, so that's why it would be a surprise to have Jack come to your door. What attracted you to being a housing officer, Jack? Oh, it was kind of, I fell into it. It was in part a reaction against becoming an assistant manager in a storage company. Because <laughs> um, I'd just been offered that job and I thought I'd better butt my ideas up because I don't want to live my life being the manager or various degrees of responsibility in a storage company. 
so I thought that I would leave as soon as possible and I put in an application because I was just looking for anything really to the borough that I work in and they accepted me about three days after I accepted the uh, assistant manager and I thank God every day should there be a God that I did so because I would hate to be a storage officer I don't mind being a housing officer so it's worked out quite nicely yeah and what does a housing <coughs> officer do? well what I do I'm an antisocial behaviour officer so my job is to when people call up and say oh my neighbour you know is really noisy or their dog barks all the time or something like this I've got to try and negotiate that problem with them but I also get people who call up and go oh my neighbour's a drug dealer <laughs> so I've got to try and negotiate that problem as well so quite a spectrum of neighbourhood issues I have to deal with I guess a lot of the time is spent in correspondence to people who are unhappy with my service so <laughs> okay. yeah that's <laughs> As if you work in local government standard think, council yeah. thing <laughs> you probably know you have to write a lot of letters say oh I'm sorry we didn't write to you every 10 days even though nothing was happening you've done that for quite a while now I've done that for coming up to five years it's five years in September and I get my extra five days holiday a year and after that I'm thinking about moving on so I can keep my benefits and conditions and go somewhere that I'm appreciated and respected okay. <laughs> where that'll be I don't know but we'll see have there been any strange scenarios that have come up in your time as a housing officer? I imagine you see quite a lot of the world. You see a fair amount of stuff. So far, I'm on one shotgun, three dead bodies, and a lot of drugs uh, so <laughs> in you, people's houses. Fuck. So a shotgun, what, at your face? or? No, no, no. The shotgun was in the cupboard. Um, I was round at the house of someone. Uh, basically, neighbours had called in, and oh, this girl, she's 14, 15, causing a lot of problems in the area drinking with her mates in the stairwells and all this and this and this so found out who her mum was went around to say her mum said you need to rein your daughter in and when I got in the house there were these two little girls who were uh, I wouldn't be one was four one was six something like this and one of them had a really gammy eye and the other was sort of just walking around like this kind of thing and I was like oh here it goes and the mum was going oh yeah it's not this girl's fault it's the fault of the estate and it's horrible around here and around, which you hear everywhere you go and by and large estates are horrible so you sort of give a little bit of leeway for that but not too much because it's in part, it's her daughter making this day horrible. So, so your your assessment is that it's reasonable to say that there's some responsibility of the estates being horrible, but that there is also personal responsibility. Well, I mean, there's responsibility on parents to not let their kids make estates horrible. Yeah. There's responsibility on all people who live, well, anywhere you live, not even the estates, you live in the street, don't, you know, don't fucking chuck KFC boxes in your street. It's disgusting, it's horrible, and it makes it unpleasant for everyone who lives there. Yeah, fair so enough. So it's yeah, about a basic sort of level of tolerance and respect. I do appreciate the fact that when you've grown up for I don't know, 15, 20 years in an area that is exactly like that, it doesn't make it easy to go, oh, it shouldn't be like this, it's just the way things are. So, like I said, a little bit of leeway for it, but not too much. Not completely, yeah, yeah. yeah. Your fault. So, yeah, the, and the girls go, yeah, it's nasty around here. And then this little four-year-old girl goes, and there's a gun in the cupboard. And I was like, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> is there a gun in your cupboard? Am I going to get shot? Am I going to get out of here? Kind of thing. Um, I looked at the mum, and she goes, oh, the 15-year-old twatty girl that I come to talk about was like oh you've said too much now grass and all this kind of thing I was like oh fuck's sake what cupboard what kind of gun where is it and how do you know about it so it basically transpired that the, uh, the cupboard in question was in the sort of communal was underneath the stairs and it was where the caretaker kept a lot of his you know, bits and pieces but a lot of residents had a key for it as well they keep their prams or whatever else Jesus. inside there so I was like well okay that's cool Mum, do you want to come and show me where this cupboard is? And then I had to get the caretaker around, opened it up, looked inside, and inside there was the usual sort of household shit, bits and pieces. And then at the back there was this uh, sort of long, weedy suitcase for um, a shopping trolley kind of thing. And there was a sort of hold-all kind of bag. So I thought, all right, let me have a look in the hold-all. Open it, it was really dark and you couldn't really see very much. So I <laughs> sort of reached around kind of gingerly inside. I felt this big metal thing and I was like, oh, well, what the fuck is this? So I sort of picked it out with two fingers. Uh, what is this? And I pulled it out and it was like these two sort of tubes stuck together. And I worked out it's the sawn-off barrel of a shotgun. And I was like, fuck, let me now call the police and get them to come and yeah, do yeah, all this yeah. shit. So they wound up and I was like, you need to kind of hurry because I'm not standing out a couple with a gun, outside a couple with a gun inside it for too long because whoever has the gun might come back and want to get me so they rolled up about an hour and a quarter later and there's me shitting myself with the caretakers are pacing up and down outside this cupboard like, keeping half an eye on that and half an eye on the street to see if anyone turned up in a kind of car with uh, rough looking people so <laughs> I see that so <laughs> so the police sort of turned up and they empty it out and all this kind of shit so there's basically in the cupboard there's a shotgun which is kind of well two foot two and a bit foot long big old fucking shotgun to me a whole like the Sainsbury bag for the shotgun uh, rounds. There's another bag with 
stuff like bullets for a handgun and this kind of stuff, but the handgun wasn't there. The handgun was out on the street. So yeah, the police carted it all off. I pretended to oversee them doing their thing. Basically, I sat in the courtyard of the Mocker Flats, wasting the day having a cigarette and reading the paper kind of thing, so I didn't want to go back to the office. I wasn't feeling much like doing any more work that day. I thought my, my job here is done. a bit of a shock, really. Yeah, another gun off the street. I thought, another life saved, blah, 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 blah. Literally, that night, just up the hill from my house, between my house and the estate, a kid got shot with a shotgun, and I was fuck. like, fuck. Like, no matter what you do, it, it kind of put me in a bit of a down heart around the world, because I thought, oh, yeah, it's great. Got a gun off the street, you know, that's potentially life saved. And then literally the very same day, someone got killed with exactly the same kind of gun. So it's like, no matter what you take, there's always, there's always something there. Yeah. So it's a bit dispiriting, but it was, you know, it was an interesting day in the life of my house and officer. And do you work in, work in the borough that you live in? I do, yes, yeah, yeah. That's an interesting thing, because I, I work in a different borough, and I quite, I like that. Because mm. <laughs> I don't have to meet people I might work, you know. Yeah, with. well, I mean, I, I don't mind it, like, I, I used to, I used to have the patch in the exact area where I live. Uh, the patch is like a little area of houses and that, that has an office of managers. And when I lived in Broccoli, for about six months, I had the patch that was in Broccoli, and one that was in New Cross, which is like the other end from where my house is. So I'd go down to the cost cutter on a Sunday afternoon, hung over to shit, like trying to buy a paper and a packet of cigarettes or something, and there'd be someone who wanted to talk to me about their broken windows. And yeah. I was like, you know what, you have to call on Monday because I'm right now, no. <laughs> um, yeah, I can under- imagine that, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't so bad. And actually, weirdly, that I moved then to Lewisham and the patch that I manage is in Deptford, which is a couple of miles away. So it's, you know, it's not too bad enough for a move. I'm not going to bump into people willy-nilly because most people don't travel too far, which is uh, useful. But bizarrely, uh, it turns out that about a year ago, the girl that I was actually investigating when I found the shotgun has moved literally about three streets away from me. So she sees me on the street once a week, probably. And for the first six months, she would get to shouting at me, oh, snitch, snitch, snitch. And I was thinking, oh, fuck me, is someone going to hear and think I'm a snitch? And then, you know, try and take some sort of revenge. But then I realised that she's a twatty little 17-year-old kid and that if I ignore her, she'll go away, and she has, so, yeah. I'm, I'm not very good at ignoring people. That's uh, a good, 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 uh, good work there. Yeah. Well, no, <laughs> weirdly enough, I took some advice uh, from a manager on exactly what to do in the situation. Should I confront her and slap her about a bit and tell her to fuck off? But he goes, if you do that, she's going to get people around and <laughs> <laughs> see you. Really. So I was like, yeah, fair enough. If I ignore her, maybe she'll go away. He's like, yeah, probably. Jack's joking. He would not would not have slapped the uh, girl around. I, I don't know. I, I was seriously fucked off with being shouted at and like quite concerned I guess she's putting you in danger yeah that's the thing I was concerned that what she was doing is putting me in danger and as it turns out she's not because she's a dick and she just likes to shout at people so let her shout for a little while she goes away fair enough Okay. but I I must admit I was closer than I have been for a long time to punching someone when she started doing that fair enough there you go it's been a while so so you found three dead bodies the first dead body that I found was I was probably about eight or nine months into being a housing officer well no in fact probably three months into being a housing officer I've worked in housing for nine months my first six months wasn't interesting work just office work and fairly tedious so basically a call comes in at it's about 1.30 or something in the afternoon and this is in 2000 must be 2007 it was a really sort of hot summer and basically the woman whose area it was to deal with was on leave so I took the call and was like oh, how can I help you this woman goes oh I haven't seen my neighbour for you know, about three or four months and there's a really horrible smell coming from next door and I was like oh okay well what I'll do I'll give me half an hour I'll finish my lunch and I'll come around and have a knock and we'll see what's happening so I did I finished my lunch and I went round it was only a ten minutes walk from the office so I thought I'd snip over there see what we can do so I knocked on the neighbour and she was like oh, yeah, it's that, that one next door it's really a uh, horrible smell I was like well I haven't got a great sense of smell I've sort of smoked far too long and corrupted myself in various ways so I can't smell very much but you know I've got a hint of something that's like, not very pleasant so went to the house she was complaining about knocked on the door no one answered so I sort of opened up the letterbox and fuck me that stunk and I don't really smell very much that was like, like if you've left a chicken out of the fridge for a couple of weeks and just left it on the side and it's congealed uh, and nasty not cooked just raw this is a horrible idea it's yeah it's <laughs> it smelled fucking filthy and outside the front door there was a stack of like yellow pages that was up to about probably four or five high of yellow pages so obviously no one had been taking the yellow pages in for a little while so sort of looked through smelt it sort of a couple of like flies around the letterbox and I thought oh fuck me I think he's probably dead because I looked on the computer system he was an old guy probably about 75 or so like this and people do die so I called the police and the ambulance and they came around and they booted off the door when that door opened like through the letterbox was nothing it was just like a, a wall of stink 
unbelievable. And I, the smell, it's hard to describe because it doesn't really smell like anything else. It's like, imagine the sort of the, the chicken that had been left out uh, yeah. times 50 or 60 and confined to a small one bedroom flat for what turned out to be a year and a half. And open the door and straight in your face is fucking grim so the police went in first and they sort of yeah there's someone dead inside and the ambulance went in yeah there's someone dead inside we better <laughs> get the people down who take away the dead people inside when I was sort of stood there going oh this is quite interesting a bit bit gruesome and they were like is this your first one and I was like yeah it's, it's more, you know, <laughs> how many did you get uh, kind of thing was, oh well housing officers course out quite a lot so I was like oh fair enough so they were like do you, do you want to see <laughs> I was like yeah I kind of do want to see yeah. I'm kind of interested so we went in and it was this old, you know, this old guy's flat went into his bedroom and um, he had obviously died on the bed but he had been there so long that he had completely mummified his skin looked like that sort of brown hessian potato sack that you get it wasn't recognisable as a face anymore it was just sort of shriveled around the skull it's like his bed was sort of covered in this big pool of black because he sort of melted and all the fat had obviously sort of run out and congealed and blah, nasty and everywhere you went in the flat, you were stepping on this sort of carpet of flies. The flies had been in so, so long, they'd obviously nested in his dead body, grown, eaten what they could, flown around, and they didn't know where to go. So they've actually just died in the flat, and there's this carpet of flies all over the place. Yeah, this is pretty filthy, and I'm walking around this guy's house, just like, oh, fuck me. Properly nasty, I had to go outside catch some air and that. And then they, yeah, they took him away, they did the paperwork, etc. And a couple of days later, I had to go back to the flat to take an inventory, because when someone dies, you've got to take an inventory of all their stuff and what's valuable, what's not valuable. Oh, the most saddest thing about it, the most heartbreaking thing, apart from the fact that he'd been there, like we'd looked for his mail, and the last time he'd opened it was in 2005, which is like a year and a half before. So apart from the fact that no one had missed him for a year and a half, in his cupboard, where he's sort of airing cupboard kind of thing, he had bought a pack of his and hers towels and the hers was still unused in the box inside the thing and the his had obviously been his that he'd used yeah. and it was kind of like shit how lonely uh, was, was the guy and he didn't use the hers towel because he's had some sort of sense of this is his and yeah. there's no hers yeah that was uh, pretty gruesome and quite a sad discovery it, yeah sounds it so yeah dead bodies that was number one uh, the second one was about eight or nine months later on and I was at a different office by then and basically same sort of kind of call that the same things happened not quite as long this guy had only been dead for like a week or so and his daughter had missed the call or something like this uh, or realised that he hadn't called for a week tried to raise him couldn't and so called it in so he was there dead in the flat I didn't really stick around didn't go inside and have a look because I know what it looks like now it's yeah, revolting you, you don't <laughs> so, want to see it again yeah so yeah talking to the police basically I mean there was a, a stages of decomposition which if you're interested you can find on the internet <laughs> um, but Sort of the first week they're fairly normal, they start to sort of puff up with all the gases and shit that expands inside them. Their skin obviously is elastic, so they're kind of like really big, they swell. And as the gas escapes, the skin splits and they sort of decompose and the shit comes out. So that's what happened to the first guy. This guy was in the sort of the swelled up and sort of like kind of stage. And as tends to happen, this was on <laughs> Friday at four o'clock. At Friday at four o'clock, you tend not to answer your phone anymore because you know that no, nothing good can come to yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> at four o'clock on a Friday, nothing will make you get home any quicker and everything that comes to you will make you get home later so some idiot housing officer hadn't established this rule very well picked up the phone took the call dead body let's go out so me and a colleague of mine went along found it but luckily the police were ones that we knew because we'd got quite good working relationships with the police in, in that area and they were like you don't need to stick around we'll nail up the door afterwards and you can come on Monday and sort of do your thing and we were like brilliant quarter to five let's fuck off home <laughs> so that was um that was that, and it, it's it's weird how callous you get about horrible shit, but you do when you meet horrible shit in your job. Well, you've you seen be, it all the time, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can be fairly callous about it. But it, it's not exactly callous, though, is it? It's it's a coping mechanism. It's the way that mm. you can do it because otherwise, if you if you were gonna feel like loads of emotion about that shit, you wouldn't be able to do that job. That is true. Yeah, I think that's a, a reasonable way of approaching it. Yeah, that was number two, and number three was actually my least favourite because it was the weirdest one of all. It was. <laughs> Least favourite. <laughs> yeah, well, I think you don't have the least favourite dead body that you found. Yeah. Um, and this one was just fucking terribly, terribly sad. Um, basically, we... In the block where I actually work, there was a massive flood from one of the flats up on, I think it was like the 18th or 16th floor or something like this. And it was going all the way through it. It was like a properly burst water pipe, fucked up their flat and several below. 
So what we had to do was go through the block, walking floor by floor, knocking on all the doors. Who's affected? Are you going to be okay to stay here, or do you need to stay somewhere else? Have you got a friend, or do we need to sort you out of a house, or a hotel, or a B&B, whatever it may be? We walked through the block, through the block, through the block, through the block, and we got to the bottom floor. This is me and another colleague of mine, um, who I dearly miss, actually, a guy called Josie. Um, if he ever happens by chance to listen to this, then hello, Josie. I miss you. Um, <laughs> so through, 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 through the block until we got to the bottom floor, and I think it was flat number eight or nine or something like this, and we knock on the door and there's no one in. And as we're sort of turning around to leave, the police come through the sort of communal doors and we're thinking, oh, what's all this about? They say, oh, you hear about the leak? I say, oh, no, 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 we're here for um, number eight. I say, oh, we've just knocked and there's no one in, there's no one answering. And they say, oh, well, we've just got to double check because basically the person who lived there, their boss had said, oh, they've, no, they've not shown up for work. And it was a Tuesday night. They hadn't shown up on Monday. They hadn't shown up on Tuesday. And so he called the police. There'd been no word and obviously couldn't get them on the phone and all this kind of stuff. They were like, oh, we'd better go and have a knock. So they knocked on the door and were like, oh, we, we can't get in. What do you want to do? I was like, well, what do you want to do? He was like, I'll tell you what, what we'll do, we'll go around and have a look and see if their car's around in the, in the car park kind of thing. Because if their car's here, then no, they're here, they're not answering, something's wrong. If their car's not here, maybe they've gone on holiday or just fucked off and not told anyone. So went downstairs, lo and behold, the car's there. So they go back up to the flat and they've got this sort of little handheld battery room that they use to take off doors when they do drugs raids and stuff like this so one two three bang one two three bang one two three bang and they're whacking this door and it's been sort of double locked from the inside or something it's not coming off easy and they're usually they're not hard to get into so we're doing as they're sort of gearing up for number four the door opens and we're like well what the fuck did you not hear us knocking you've heard three goes on the big bloody battering ram thing what what's the deal here and so police officer go, goes to this odd change the names for uh <laughs> yeah you should yeah whatever uh say so she goes oh are you jemima she goes oh no i'm i'm not jemima he goes well jemima's supposed to be living there and basically this woman who's come to the door is not the person who's supposed to be living there some of the neighbors have obviously come out by commotion and said oh we don't know who this woman is and then she goes well what's gonna happen she says well we're gonna need to sort of ask some questions she goes oh let me go and get my son so she goes down into the flat and gets her son and the police say well we better come with you to possibly a crime scene whatever they go down there and the jemima the lady who's supposed to be there is dead on her bed inside the flat now we're like what the fuck has happened here she's brought her kid along to murder someone or what is all this it transpired basically that jemima is a two-bedroom flat she's living there on her own she thinks i'll make some extra money let me rent out one of the rooms so she rents out the other room to this woman and her kids but basically when the woman hears the police knocking on the door she's thinking fuck me it's immigration i'm going to get deported so she's not opening nothing and so jemima's side about a week beforehand and her and her child have been living in this flat with this dead body which is getting to be pretty fucking horrible by now it's about a week it's starting to swell up shit, and shit. but they don't want to tell anyone they don't want to tell anyone because they're uh, illegal, illegal immigrants, immigrants. and they're like we've it's even live with this or you know or, leave yeah, the country and go back to, to whatever they come from yeah. yeah so that was that was the worst sort of weirdest one for me because not only was it a dead person but it was a little kid who's seven or eight years old had been living in a flat with a dead person for a week and whatever was going through that woman's mind it was better for her to live with her son with a dead person than go back to her country that that in my opinion is a case for them to get in given citizenship uh, you know I mean? yeah, if you yeah. fucking stay in in that you don't there's, there must be a reason you would think so, yeah. So I, I, yeah, I don't know what happened to her actually. In the end, because we don't get sort of told all the follow-through of what happened, we just get sort of a basic feedback of the story, and then we're left to sort of figure so you out. Never, so you never find out the end. Don't know if she got deported. Don't know if she's still here somewhere. No idea. Man, that must be quite hard not knowing the endings of these stories that mm. you're involved in. Well, most of the time you can because it basically was on. It was an ongoing case. The police couldn't give us that much information. We didn't have that woman's name because. Jemima was our uh, our person who was supposed to be there, so we had no idea. We couldn't ask about ex woman because we didn't know who ex woman was. So right. that was a pretty fucked up one. <laughs> Let's sort of change it up and go from death to life. You're not just into punk music. I'm not. No, I was. I wasn't into punk music until quite late. I guess for people who like punk music. Where I went to high school was in Acton in West London, and it's sort of on the edge of a couple of quite large estates and it was quite different from the way I'd gone to primary school which is the sort of little middle class suburban enclave in west of West London but the sort of the standard middle class send your kids to this school school I really hated when I went to the open day and I thought oh, I'd much rather go to this sort of interesting school where they have good projects and shit like this so I thought oh, let me go there but one of the byproducts was was actually getting introduced to a whole different kind of music so I got into Jungle when I was about 12, 13 years old and sort of really like that I still do really like it and hip hop and sort of stuff like that and a bit of garage when it was starting to come up and all this kind of stuff so that was sort of the music that I started out listening to as my sort of first 
beyond the standard pop charts and your parents kind of stuff that was the stuff that I got into listening to so that was that was that and then basically I sort of went to college because the school I went to didn't have a sixth form so I went to college in Twickenham near Richmond and fell back into a sort of quite a nice middle class sort of friendship group and not getting into scrapes like we did in high school just doing sort of nice and yeah. getting drunk by the river and this kind of shit one of the other benefits is that opened up back another whole set of music which I hadn't been exposed to before which was stuff like grunge and metal and guitar music basically yeah. I hadn't heard guitar well I heard guitar music because Oasis were in the charts but I hadn't listened to guitar music for a good sort of five or six years so I started listening to that and it was quite good but because I had really got into like jungle and that kind of music it was really fast that was my thing and I met Will the bassist from Mummy's Special on a photography course that we did together and he played me two albums which sort of got me into punk music which was so Long and Thanks for All the Shoes by No Effects and Let's Go by Rancid, which stand up for me as two sort of pretty good albums. So I still have them, I still listen to them. Uh, they're not my first go-to albums anymore, but they sort of quite changed again the way I listen to music. Yeah. So it's really good. And from that, I sort of started getting into, oh, yeah, this is good, this is good, this is good. I got into metal slightly before that, but it was kind of the, the new metal, Corn and Limp Bizkit, shit like this. And like, while I quite like the, the riffs, the speed wasn't up to scratch. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I got into punk music and that was where it happened and from that I kind of developed a punk listening sensibility which kind of has informed everything that I've done since then so the two things that I like are speed from jungle and sort of DIY scratchiness from punk and then obviously that's as you get older it spreads out and you hear about more things and you revisit some shit that you didn't think you'd revisit and you go oh, that's actually quite good so <laughs> well that's it I mean because now you're at a sort of stage where you're you're really eclectic I guess in terms of what you like because you you know you joined apples with a sort of folk pot- potential for that and uh, mm. you sort of you like some folk music now as well I mean it's uh... yeah I like some folk music I still would err towards the the rougher side of folk yeah. I don't really like Gaelic folk that, that kind of shit is annoying we're sort of punk sensibility folk yeah. I often think folk was punk before punk existed it was what when people just grabbed guitars and just made music and sounds yeah. and played fast music and danced I mean that's that's punk you know yeah no it is it's, just, it's a, a nice way of looking at it and I, I quite like bands there was a, a period where bands went back to that and it became sort of a big thing folk punk and cow punk which is cowboy southern yeah, yeah. Uh, America punk and this kind of stuff and it had always been around but it got quite big as big as it can get really towards the early part of the you know, 2000s maybe 2003 etc like Against Me released a really good album called Reinventing Axl Rose and that was sort of some people saw it as a manifesto I saw it as a really nice record but it was like really well constructed lyrics great songs but all of them sort of acoustic where they could be and electric where they needed to be and it was really well made and well put together and when I say well made I don't mean overproduced I mean it was it sounded like it needed to sound do you know what I mean yeah. it was a a really good album and that sort of period was a great sort of coming together for me of, of sort of folk and punk music which yeah, as you say I've always been a little bit intertwined but that kind of solidified it in my mind as to how they could be done together and that along with some encouragement from a couple of friends sort of started me out writing songs yeah. basically there was Will and me and a couple of other friends that wanted to sort of start a little DIY record label and the idea is you make it all yourself and you know photocopy the sleeves and set it for 50p or anything that you could sell it for basically or if you didn't sell it just fucking give it away and encourage people to copy it for your friends and it was good it was called No Makes Records and <laughs> by the death but it, not before it sort of had a couple of good albums and a fairly decent band came out of it I think my three favourite releases from it were my album which is called Imagine Getting Stabbed in the Face by Jack Oswald <laughs> indie brilliance for anyone who cares to look it up it's probably on Angel Fire or something like that so there's that there's uh, one of my favourite <laughs> albums of all time is by Swamp Room uh, which is my mate Matthew Stacey and the Playstation 1 and it's basically used in the music programme for Playstation called Music which I first got in know, 96, 97 kind of time and you can just make sort of beats and tunes and shit but him and his mate have got together and they've made a really <laughs> well thought out album and they've they sort of used all the potential of it and sort of cut things up and fuck things around a little bit to make some really interesting sounding music and that was called Life is Short and Wide by Swan Prue that's a great album which I don't think you can get anywhere now if you're interested talk to Dave and he'll talk to me and I can <laughs> probably copy sorry, it for you, you yeah, yeah. and the last one was STDC Split which was 
uh, Will's band in one of the sort of lulls between Mummy's Sound Special. It was after, I think it was after, but before Pikey Mark. Um, and it was his sort of go at being sincere and political and stuff like this. It was really uh, quite amusing at times, but also really good, a really good uh, record. So you should listen to that as well. What was amusing about it? <laughs> it was amusing. Because this is a guy that I've known since we were 16 and we've been dickheads together for however long. Um, and suddenly there's these sort of heartfelt kind of songs that are interesting, a bit sort of politics, but we said especially we've never really done politics um, to any extent. But he, he, he started doing it um, in, in the records. So I don't particularly agree with political music. Um, the kind of separation of church and state for me there. Because it's got so boring. It's a lie, what you're thinking, it's a lie Why you was bitching, I passed you by Now you find, it kinda hard To get back on your feet, it's a lie What you're thinking, it's a lie Why you was bitching, I passed you by Now you find, it kinda hard To get back on your feet, yeah It was, nice, it was nice to see it being done. It was a good album. It stands up well apart from the guitar sound, which was shocking throughout. But the playing was, uh, the playing was good and the songs were excellent, uh, as they always are. What bands do you hate? Bands do I hate? I don't tend to hate bands because it seems kind of a waste of time. I do uh, not object, as that's too strong a word. I dislike certain kinds of music. The kind I hate, I'm going to say hate, fuck it, it's easy. Shorthand for objecting. I don't like this sort of new British sound like I'm black from the 70s soul music like Adele and Amy Winehouse and this fucking Plan B yeah it is I don't like the shit. worst kind of music that there is and for me it's I mean I was never much of a soul fan anyway I enjoy Marvin Gaye to a certain extent Al Green etc Al Green's great I haven't ever dug much past that um, Curtis Mayfield is really good actually but <laughs> it's not an area that I thought required much digging to sort of see what it's like because there's a sort of great plethora of it and obviously whenever you dig into a genre you're going to find some excellent weird shit that you didn't think you'd hear before but that is not what's being explored now and there's no need to explore sort of traditional alleged classics yeah. from 30 years ago without adding anything do you know what I mean like every musical genre has evolved to some extent like punk has changed and changed and changed and changed this is just it's literally it's ripping off what's gone before you, what's done it better than you can ever hope to do it, and without adding anything apart from a little bit of modern day production value which doesn't constitute a change, it just constitutes more expensive equipment. So it's it's bullshit as far as I'm concerned. If you listen to Adele or Amy Winehouse or Plan B, then fuck you. Okay. <laughs> do you think there is much room for new genres now? I mean, that's something I worry about. There's all, No, there's always room for change, and there's always room for new genres. Um, but it, it, it takes someone who has that kind of spark to instigate that and I can't tell you what the genre's going to be because I haven't got that kind of spark no. I'm not going to create a new kind of music I don't know you never know but I mean I don't think you know it until it happens that's you know the thing I mean? it takes time to pick up its pace so I think there is room and there is the possibility of doing something new and quite exciting I'm not even worried that it'll happen because it will happen but at the moment you've got oh, some fucking awful bands at the moment I've started <laughs> it's a sign of my old age impending old age reading about music in the Guardian <laughs> it's the most depressing thing you can possibly do with your time that's the end of it that is the end of oh right I thought we meant the end of the tape no, 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 no it's no, the no. end of your life as a... that's not how I ended it <laughs> that's the end of it reading about music in the Guardian it's a stupid thing to do it's also an intensely depressing thing to do because you hear about these bands that are being raved about and the two of note that have come to my noticed most recently are a, a rap band called Odd Future Wolfgang something something etc uh, but Odd Future if you want to google them you'll find them and they're shit they're really really bad uh, basically a bunch of rappers producers etc a collective that want to be a kind of modern day Wu-Tang Clan and their ethic is actually brilliant their ethic is basically record a whole load of shit put it out on the internet for free let people listen to it make up their own mind unfortunately what they haven't got is the skills and basically the press have been blustered by their ethic and have confused a good ethic with good music 
Okay. Uh, they wouldn't usually have been worth a mention, but the fact that they're in the press means they are worth a mention, and the mention is that they're not a very good band, but they have got a great ethic. Another band that is getting talked about quite a lot at the moment is called Woolif, which is another sort of acronym, which stands for World Unite uh, Lucifer Youth Federation or something like this, I think it's called. They are just the most appalling piece of shit as a band. They Again, they've got a great marketing technique, and... I think it's sad. I wonder if it's to do with our age or if it always happened, but people who are supposed to be able to discuss music in a sensible way are being fucking blinded by science. They're just having marketing and web shit and nonsense thrown at them. And they're really, really desperate to find something new. I think, yeah, I think that and could be the case. They like want to be the guy who discovers this or this, but yeah. you've discovered a guy who is kind of a cross between Morrissey and the Arctic Monkeys and another sort of overhyped band Morris the Arctic Monkeys and I like Morris some of the sort of, uh, yeah. and some of the Arctic you would <laughs> you might like Wood Life go and look them up intensely <laughs> <laughs> shit yeah, yeah I'll, I'll, uh, I will I'll, I'll go through all the bands you're saying and shit I'll go right right playlist mm. playlist I'll listen to them no but Odd Future's gimmick is perverse and I mean deliberately revolting lyrics and I've got nothing against that I mean, I've written a few in my time perverse and revolting but it seems to be all they do is they, they talk about raping women as a revenge act for breaking up with them this kind of shit and that's that's their shtick which you know is particularly unappealing they also they're intensely homophobic on record whether they are as people I don't know it might be part of their marketing structure I know their producer is a lesbian how she deals with that I don't know but maybe you just go oh, it's just a bunch of kids fucking off the world and part of the people they're going to offend is you know, gay people who have got a bit of a stick up their asses, no pun intended about being gay and you know get very offended you have the right to be offended you haven't got the right not to be offended so I'm not, not against lyrics per se as marketing but when all you've got to say is that then it leaves me wondering why people are taking such an interest you've got to have some something underneath you can't just have shock value That's for it, shock yeah, yeah. sake Marilyn Manson's been done and I think it's a lot, <laughs> a lot of trying to rekindle that same shit uh, yeah. um, but at least Marilyn Manson had a sort of an interesting viewpoint on the world rather than just I don't think he ever said rape is fun but that's essentially what Odd Future seem to be saying they don't sound like I like them no I don't, I don't think you will yeah, they're, the, they're the other, pretty the good the other one I like good, but I, say. I say Morrissey just because I saw I was watching a video of them a couple of nights ago on uh, YouTube as I want to do I like to punish myself by watching videos of shit bands on YouTube they probably weren't massively on Morrissey I say Morrissey because he was a sort of skinny guy and he was from the north and he had a sort of bouffant haircut and there were flowers on the stage so that's the <laughs> that's the Morrissey angle they claim that they play heavy pop it's not essentially particularly heavy it's fairly poppy but it's kind of sort of, uh, yeah so fuck them woo lift or life whatever you kids pronounce it fuck them well if you're listening to this uh, woo therefore life or whatever I hope you feel suitably chastised yeah exactly <laughs> fuck yourselves the last question really now because we're on the wrap up part is have you got anything you want to plug? Anything I want to plug? Yeah, I haven't even had a chance to. Uh, you can talk about it. Stuff, you yeah? can discuss it okay. as part of your plug. That's okay. At the moment, for any of those of you who are interested in gothic dolls, Japanese horror, etc., etc., that kind of stuff, there was a brand of dolls that was around about three or four years ago, and it got sort of shut down and stopped being made. And they're called Little Apple Dolls, and they're now being remade by the original artist who is involved with them, and. I'm part of the team that is sort of selling them and developing the brand, etc, etc, etc. So that is what I want to plug. Go to www.littleapplodolls.com and you can sort of see the, the history and the dolls and what they look like and stuff like this. And they look really cool. They're quite cute and they're quite scary. And, you know, if you're interested in cute, scary stuff, then you might like them. I, I like them a lot. I don't think I'll ever buy one, but I like them. Mm. You know, I, they, they look really visually very nice. My girlfriend, who used to be a goth, appreciates them. Excellent. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, d I definitely would recommend yeah, I mean they're they're very cool things. They each they've got their own little sort of storybook as well, which comes with them, which you don't really see on the website. But they've each doll is a character, and the character's got a story, and the story is basically a story of how the child that the doll that becomes the doll is uh, transformed, and basically it's the story of the child's life and then death, and it dies, and it becomes the look of what the doll is. It lives in a place called the in between, between life and death. They're quite large, aren't they? The dolls. We were trying to work out how big they were. Alright, the oh, well, there's there's two kinds. Basically, there are sort of three foot ones, which are sort of for the serious collector. They're sort of about two hundred and ten to two hundred and seventy quid. But there's also the fourteen inch. So like, stick them on the shelf on top of the TV kind yeah. of dolls, and they're all dressed up very nicely. Anyway, at the moment, Yuri is the artist who makes them, and she's making them sort of limited edition, handmade clothes. While we're trying to get the capital together to you know, increase the brand and maybe mass produce them, maybe you know, get 
some things made for us and try and make it bigger and better. But we're doing that. We've done the, oh, what was it called? The London Expo Convention. We did a convention called Kitacon. So we're going around all the sort of the manga, the horror and this kind of stuff, conventions at the moment, trying to increase this thing, obviously sell the stuff as well, because that's... <laughs> That's the idea. They've been really well received at those conventions. They have done, yeah. I mean, they've, they've done really well. People are really happy about them. It was amazing. At the, the London Expo one that we went to, people were sort of queuing up to get Yuri to sign their stuff. But the best thing about it was that someone actually came dressed as one. Wow. Which is fucking awesome. If you're into cosplay at all, then it's quite a tribute to have somebody come and meet you dressed as something that you've made. And oh, obviously, yeah, Yuri was Jesus. blown away. We were all just like, well, what the fuck? That's exceptional. So, yeah, that was really really nice and there's talk on the internet of more people doing that the more we do so we're hopefully going to have a little group of little apple doll cosplayers that are going to follow us around and be our like japanese girls to gwen stefani kind of thing yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be lovely but the most important thing is if you're interested or if you know someone who is interested google little apple dolls go on facebook there's search for screaming matriarch yeah. screaming matriarch is the umbrella company that releases them isn't it that is yeah screen matriarch is the umbrella company and that also sort of services another sort of three or four artists that do stuff uh, including myself yeah. um, I make t-shirts you should buy one of my t-shirts uh, I've only sold about I own one six. of Jack's t-shirts and I own it because it's good not because he's my friend I have to say I was surprised <laughs> not that you would do something good that just I didn't know that you were artistically inclined and then you design these really good t-shirts so. yeah well I'd, I'd kind of really liked drawing when I was younger and my mum always told me that I was shit at it not that like, in those words you know, oh, Jack <laughs> you're shit at drawing stop don't ever draw again kind of thing but she did uh, <laughs> encourage me in other directions shall we say which is a, you know, it's a nice way of doing it if you don't think that someone's got it but I've always quite liked drawing I've never been great at it but there's it, it, oddly better at actually designing and laying things out so sort of getting pieces and sticking them together and this kind of stuff which is how the t-shirts sort of came to be you create each thing separately and stick it all together and it's rather than hand drawing and that's, is it silk printing that you did it it's, it's yeah screen printing screen it's printing. called uh, silk screening is the sort of what it was initially called the screens and now that we use are made of nylon but they're initially over silk and fine mesh and that's something that I've taken up in the last year because those of you that know me will know that I'm a sort of a hobbyist I collect hobbies once you told me you weren't an artist you mm. believe in hobbies rather than art oh well yeah I absolutely do I, I like sort of I mean but I'll, 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 say, not, I'll explain what I'll talk about about yeah, myself yeah. and then we'll talk about the concept okay. of it. For myself, I, I have a very low boredom threshold, so I tend to sort of pick things up for sort of three or six months at a time. Like The first album I wrote, I wrote in about a month and a half and then recorded it the same day and I didn't write another song for about four years because I'd done my songwriting and it's the same with reading. I read books, I'll read sort of ten or so books in a couple of months and then I won't read again for the rest of the year and then I'll you know, come back to it. And so uh, having met my current partner who's very much into sort of art and stuff like this she sort of took me around art galleries and showed me the shit and I was like these things are really cool how is it made and it was all screen printed and I was like yeah it's excellent it's sort of posters and stuff on flags and all sorts of shit and I thought well, that looks like something I could do it doesn't look like it's going to be too hard to do it is actually fairly hard to do well as everything obviously is otherwise everyone would do it yeah. same with someone same with everything else you've got to practice it and do better at it but I thought you know that's something I could do it'll give me a chance to start drawing again and you know start designing things creating things bits and pieces so that's what I did I put myself in a course and I've started doing it and one of the products is the t-shirt that you, you've bought and that you can buy if you go to screenmatriarch.com you should do it you should do it and they've got I mean if they, they've not just got stuff by Jack as well they've got some really good uh, bags and uh, pillows and stuff like that that I think Jen's thinking of buying some when we got a bit more money. I'm trying to sort of branch it back into sort of punk and we're looking at a couple of, I'm not sure if I like the term urban art or street art, but that kind of stuff as well. Yeah. Well, I've done some posters and I'm going to put them up on the thing as well. So there's going to be wall art, there's going to be clothing as well. It's mostly at the moment, it's sort of clothing and accessories. Obviously at the moment we're concentrating on the dolls because they're the big product and we're trying to launch them and progress them, etc, etc. But everything else on there is gold as well so you and should uh, okay. you say that you say that you're a hobbyist right mm. i mean i say i'm an artist right but we both like have the same kind of approach because i like get obsessed with something mm. and get really obsessed with it and then i don't do it for years and then i come back to it and that's what i do i mean i've yeah. been making these podcasts now i mean i don't know when this will go out but i've done it over a sort of three months of intense fucking podcasting and then after that mm. there'll be nothing for a while well this one won't go up because you'll stop your podcasting craze if you're a proper no no no, no. just um, in time for see, it well, I, I, no I'll keep releasing <laughs> it at the same time as doing other things because it's, it's, it's you know mm. once the work's done you can just release it that's, that's just, that's yeah, just yeah. a bit of admin and you know oh, I love that <laughs> admin. <laughs> but I mean I think it's just a word because I mean when you first said oh yeah I'm a hobbyist I mean I get annoyed with people who are hobbyists because I try and work with them and then they don't do anything 
but you're not that you're not that and because uh, we're working together at the moment and, uh, <laughs> sure. and that's but it's, it's a hobby project though that's the thing that's well, I can do it it's I think, I think you just have, in your mind you have to call it a hobby and then you can do it but if you call it art you're like oh that's a bit pretentious I, oh, I do have not a problem with people who call themselves creative or call themselves artists I don't mind it as a, as a moniker I just don't see it as myself I don't see myself in that bracket because no. I don't do anything with any great degree of skill. The one thing I have sort of learned and spent time in is playing guitar. I've played that since I was about 15 years old. So. I think you're a skilled guitarist. I think you're a skilled lyricist. I like your t-shirt. So I, I, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not convinced by this. But that's um, why I get interviewed by sycophants. Like but yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's one of those things. Like I'll turn my hand to something and the result will be okay and then I won't pursue it. And then that's probably annoying for people that know me and people that want to work for me and stuff like that, which is you know, fine. Be annoyed by that. It can be annoying <laughs> in different projects. You've got to find the right project. I'm tired of the same old story. I'm tired of waiting and waiting. For me, with screen printing and sort of design, it's stuff that because I was never great at it, I can push myself into it. Like you've said, I'm a good lyricist. I think I'm quite a good lyricist, but it's not something that I've studied or worked at. It's something that you write it down, and you that's don't pretty have much to it. Study it. It's, like, it's kind of innate sometimes. I mean, you do have to work on your. Yeah, craft, but if it's innate, it's it not is, worth but... anything. That's that's the way I look at something. It's like being British. I'm not proud of being British. It's a stupid thing to be proud of because it's just <laughs> it happened to me. Do you know what I mean? I'm not proud of being tall or fat. That's just happened to me. It's not something... Well, well being fat, actually, I can control, but I just choose not to. Yeah. Um, being tall, like, <laughs> being tall I can't really control. It's just something that's happened to me. I haven't eaten broccoli religiously like four or five times a day when I was a child. Like, oh, I'm going to be the tallest boy in class. <laughs> like, it, no, it's, it's, it's not something to be proud of. And like, stuff that comes innately, well, yeah, fair enough. It's nice and everything, but it's not... Don't cherish it. And the stuff that you have to work at, I think, is the most valuable stuff that you can do because it's like that's where you put your effort in yeah. and it's shit like this it's shit like screen printing and design which I've never done before or I haven't been good at in the past um, and now with this sort of screen being maker we're trying to run it as a business I've never run a business challenge and it's new and it's exciting and it's great and it's probably not something that I'm brilliant at but it was something that I will work at and try and be better at yeah yeah that's what art is and that's what in a way that's what hobbies are I mean people who really take these hobbies seriously and that that's what they're doing I mean it doesn't really matter what word you use I guess it's just if you put the effort in yeah I uh, but uh, I think it's about putting the effort in but also I just I don't like the label of anything becoming something that you can be tied to yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't really want to be remembered, but if I am, I don't want to be remembered as Jack Goldsmith lyricist or Jack Goldsmith t-shirt maker or whatever. I want to be like, oh, this guy, he did a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Cool. Fair enough. If that's how you want to think of me, think of me like that. If you don't want to think of me at all, then please don't. Don't think of Jack as an artist. Just think he did a, a bunch of stuff. More of the stuff that he does that, that should be in the plug-in session, I guess, is like mentioned before, Mummy Says I'm Special. You can find them online. You certainly can. Uh, the new album is in the pipeline. It has been for the last year and a half. By the time this comes out, it may even be finished. Probably not. Know. No, no. We did, we, um, <laughs> we did an interview from Mike Doozer's podcast about... probably uh, We recorded it in March last year. Probably we recorded with him in... July, August last year. Yeah. We've probably done about three mixing sessions since then. That's almost apples for everyone. Uh, it is properly of, uh... just <laughs> delayed, tardy, dickheadish bullshit. Um, <laughs> but 
we were like, oh yeah, it'll definitely drop before Christmas, and he put his podcast out in November, and as yet it was not released, and as as yet it's still not released. By the time you hear this, it's probably worth clicking on the Mummy yeah. Says Special link just to see if it's been released. But check out if Mummy, it's not, it'll be there soon. Mummy Says Some Special. What's their website? Uh, MummySaysSomeSpecial.com. There you go. And you can, they're on MySpace and that, but MySpace is dead. Don't bother. MySpace, yeah, MySpace is dead. If you Google, <laughs> weirdly enough, right? If you Google Mummy Sell Special, if you haven't already selected your preferences, it will take you to a, a French Canadian band called Mom Says I'm Special, thinking that you meant them. You didn't mean them. You meant Mummy Sell Special. You wanted to look at the greatest punk rock band in the world. Right. You didn't want to look at these Some Canadian French band. Canadian cunts. No, they're <laughs> utterly pointless. I'm glad that really? I, I'm glad we got the C bomb in just before the end. Well, I'm you know I'm, no, I'm, I'm not I'm, afraid of the C bomb. I'm, 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 I'm comfortable with that. I think I've used it myself in the uh, podcast. I think I used it in episode one just to to cl- clarify. Yeah. Um, and you're doing a project with me, which. I get to pro- I get to promote my own projects only when there's someone <laughs> called the plural and that's worth checking out. Mm. You can find that on SoundCloud slash the plural and uh, you can find that on Facebook. There's yeah. a group. That fits in. That fits in with my artist versus hobbyist theory actually because that is set within constraints. Yeah, right? it so is it's, it's very hard to do. Um, the way we do the plural is basically we try to write, record and mix a song all in the space of a day and we usually we've done spend, one today we've done one today we spent usually about eight or nine hours and it's getting yeah. gradually less which less. is brilliant yeah brilliant <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's worth worth listening to but also because of the constraints that it's made under it sort of pressurises your time and it pressurises your thought process and you don't get to throw away as many ideas and part of the problem with being an artist is you scrap so much good yeah. shit so here's a list of all the things you won't be Astronaut, a firefighter, or a man who holds a gun, a perfect father, or a slightly perfect son. Cause those who look perfect are just exceptionally good at disguising the fact that they're scum. One of my favourite songwriters is the Mountain Goats. Uh, I, I love them. Yeah, introduced they're to one you. of the ones that yeah, you really turn me on to them. They're great. And they are, they, he is an amazing songwriter and his output is phenomenal. He has so far released, I think it's over 500 songs or something like that. You'll never know what happens when you die. You'll never know how to stop her when she cries. All the words you say, they won't mean anything at all. This world is just so big and you're so very, very, very small. He does throw shit away. Because I've, I've interviewed him, I spoke to him uh, years and years ago. He does throw shit away, but the thing is that you just you keep on pressing, you keep on pushing, and you let shit come out, and that's that's fine. I think people get bogged down in artistry, and they're like, oh, this is not good enough, this is awful, rah, rah, rah. A rough around the edges is a beautiful thing. Yeah, that's that's the other thing. If I'd have known back then, she'd have things that I know right now. I'd have been a miserable bastard from the age of six years old. If I'd have known back then, she'd have things that I still don't know. I think I agree it's with okay you. It's okay to be this. rough, and DIY is a beautiful way of doing it. I'm a big believer in deadlines. I'm a big believer in getting shit. If it's you know, you release it. You say when you're going to release it, and you, you you release it, and you just have to stand by it then. And if it's yeah. shit, then you have to do the next thing better. Yeah. And that that's how I kind of feel about uh, that sort of thing. I mean, it's like I think this podcast series is much better than the other podcast series that I did. But I'm not. I don't regret doing the other podcast series that I did. Uh, Look, you really limited yourself in that, yeah, and that was that was quite limited. Yeah. <laughs> the limitations were. Uh, yeah, a big part of the, the problem. So sort of learn what, what to limit and what not to uh, as you go on. So the plural, the idea is that one song every month for a year equals 12 songs equals an album. Yeah. So check it out, see the album growing through the year and... Yeah. Uh, God knows when this comes out, it might even be out already, it might even be finished. <laughs> They've all been markedly different, which is quite nice though, because... They have, yeah. I think that's the thing, I, I suppose... Oh. See, now you're caught with me with all these inconsistent worldviews that we talked about earlier on. And I guess my worldview in this is... Off mic. Off mic, yeah. yeah. Um, it's kind of inconsistent, because 
I guess you have to be at a certain stage with something to understand how the limitations are going to affect you because obviously you went into podcasts and you've heard podcasts you've never really done yeah, one before that's true. and you went in with a very limited scope project you've made something good out of the, the proceeds but would it have been better if you'd known the processes that you had to go through and you know the, the form essentially I've done so my best with some bad material that's how <laughs> I feel <laughs> well I, 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 <laughs> I don't know you listen to that's it that's 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 yeah that's for me to say anyway I'm, yeah. Uh, I can't remember, but obviously, yeah, you've limited yourself, and without knowing the form, that's quite a brave thing to do, and that's you know, that's really good. But I think it does help if you if you understand the form and understand some of the the constructs that go into something. It's like, would you, if you're a filmmaker, would you shoot a, your first film in black and white, relying intensely on sort of shadow and light differences? If you didn't know about the form, no, you probably wouldn't. Yeah, okay. Your first film would be you know, sock puppet with a barrel on talking existentialist bollocks, or you know something else like that. Doesn't sound like a film I want to see. <laughs> no, no, I mean either. Like, I'm not a filmmaker, and I never have been. Yeah. <laughs> not yet. Not until you decide to take that. That's it. Well, that's hobby, my next yeah. hobby. Yeah. <laughs> Wicked. Well, it's been a pleasure getting better acquainted with you, Jack. It's uh, been a surprise, actually. A lot of the stories were quite surprising. So, do you want to say goodbye to the audience? Goodbye, audience. <laughs> goodbye. You can find Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at UBA Podcast. You can find it on Facebook, it's Getting Better Acquainted, have a search on Facebook and like it. Or you can find it on the website www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk You can also subscribe by searching on iTunes and subscribing to us that way. And on the Stitcher Smart Radio app, you can download for your smartphone from stitcher.com or through the App Store. There are lots of ways to get better acquainted. That's the end of it, that is.